What's going on in the game? Um, it's the top of the first, and um, there's one out for the Nationals. <laughs> Just make sure it's fine. That's okay. So let's just look at some scripture. So this is from the Gospel of John. I mean, I'm sorry, the first letter of John. So I'll give you a chance to read it. If you really think about what he's saying here, is that he says, This is the message we have heard from him who proclaimed to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of the Son cleanses us from all sin. But if we say we are without sin, and he's talking about us, right? He's talking about believing, faithful Christians. If we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we acknowledge our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from every wrongdoing. So this is, and this is a, uh, something that St. Thomas Aquinas really grappled with. And the way he said it is, you know, we have, if you're familiar, we have original sin and we have personal sin. And original sin is, is remove the guilt of original sin is removed and we're baptized. And the guilt of um, personal sin is, is removed, so to speak, when we go to confession. But when we die, we are still, we still have what the Aquinas called have the stain of sin. We have the wounds, right? So you can have a physical wound, right? It may, it may not be bleeding and it's all been sewn up and healed over, right? It's still the wound, right? You still have the stain, the stain of sin. Another way of thinking about it is we may let's say we. Um, we die and we have whatever, all the stuff going on in our lives. We don't have any mortal sin. And let's just say we went to Mass that morning and we don't even have any um, venial sin. Right? So uh, we still have imperfections that have to be healed. Imperfections like the wounds of our, of our childhood or the wounds from our experiences of our lives. Resentments we might still have. Uh, guilt, shame, regrets. That's a big one. Regrets. And it's those imperfections that have to be purified. And uh, a, a good way of thinking about it is when we die and we have imperfections, if we're not perfect like God is, we wouldn't want to be. Right? It would almost be painful to be in God's presence if we had imperfection because God is perfect. God is pure love. And if we were in his presence, our imperfections would just be, so we say, painfully obvious. So purgatory is about being healed, purified, a 
of those wounds, resentments, things that we need to forgive, and, and things people need to forgive us. This makes it, this kind of, uh, this scripture supports that point as well. When we get to heaven, it's in basically saying in purgatory is where God wipes every tear from their eyes and there should be no more death and mourning or wailing and pain. So that's the best way to think about purgatory. It's, it's a place where we are purged of our imperfections, purged of anything that is not purely holy and uh, really deserving to be in the presence of God. So I'll pause there and see if there's any questions. Surely, let's see. Yes. So once it's sold up, Yes, yeah, so the question is, so after we've been cursed this way, after we've been purified, and we are made holy enough to, to enter into God's presence, then that's what happens. Um, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien also wrote about this, wrote some, some great parables about this. They're, they say that um, when you are finished with purgatory, you won't even notice that you've entered into heaven. So it's it's a purification, and finally, there you are. It's not like somebody says, all right, well, you know, you haven't been able to go through this door, but today's your big day. It's more like you're, you're ready, you, you're there. Any other questions? Sure. Is it outside of time? Is it outside of time? That's a great question. It is outside of time. So, um, let's just say somebody had to spend a long time in purgatory. Which sounds it's kind of negative, right? But a long time of being healed. A long time that they need a long time to remove the stain of sin that they have used in their lives. But you're living in eternity. When you're in purgatory, time doesn't matter. So it's not like anyone's living. Here's my time up. You know. And again, you almost think of it as something voluntary. It's something we would want to do. Is purify ourselves before we get into God's presence. You know what else I really like the idea of um, and people think of purgatory as a place of suffering, but it's it, it is in a sense because we're not where we should be yet. Like we're not with him yet. So the suffering is is that we're not fully in his presence closer than we've ever been. It's a good place to be because we're on our way. But um, but it's a suffering because we're not yet where we were what we were made for. Yeah. So you're still living with that which we all have is this yearning, right, for God that drives everybody. This yearning for God, right? It drives everything we do. So you still have that yearning even there's another um, argument that I think you can make that many people deal with is make is that um, first of all, what are you being? What are we being purified of? Right? What is it? 
What is it that would need to be let go? Right? Like I said, it's the regret, pain, wound, shame, guilt. But it's ultimately what we have to be purified of is our selfishness. Our, our addiction to ourselves. Right? That we grapple with our whole life. Basically, the basis for most of our sin right? is, is this addiction to ourselves. We always want to put ourselves first. So that's what we need to be purified. And if you think about, so think about unwillingness to forgive or regrets. All those things are attachments to the world. And that's what in purgatory we are being cleansed of those attachments. So that instead of worrying about all these things in our, our lives, we just are attached to God. We're, we're trusting God. We rely on God forever. But what I was going to say is that um, you might also think about some people suffer terribly during this life, right? So that could be considered part of the time counting towards purgatory, so to speak, right? Which is kind of what we mean, what we talk about when we say lifting up our suffering, right? So when we suffer, I'm maybe getting off the subject a little bit, but when we suffer, we can, we can either suffer and feel sorry for ourselves, get discouraged, and get angry at God for doing this to me. These are all natural things, right? But as we suffer, hopefully we can get to a point where we say, a point of acceptance, a point of humility, a point of, of, of um, obedience to God's will, whatever that is, even though we don't know what it is sometimes. Um, it's that letting go of self that happens when we suffer. Right? Some of you probably know what I mean, right? That suffering is a very humble. Right? It's hard to be proud of yourself. So since purgatory is outside of time, and at the same time, people can spend different lengths of time in purgatory, why do we pray for people in purgatory? Another great question. It kind of leads us into the subject. Really for that reason. In fact, that's what we, you know, a funeral vigil has three parts. A funeral has three parts. It has a vigil, the night before the burial, or before the mass, and then the day before the mass, and then you have a burial. But the vigil is when, you know, it's called the way, it's, it's called the viewing, it's, it's when you do the, um, the rosary oftentimes. But what we're doing there is praying for that person's soul. That they can make a quick trip through purgatory. And, and we believe, and this gets us into the communion of saints, almost squarely, is that um, we believe our prayers do matter. And our prayers do, and, and our acts of, of mercy and sacrifice on behalf of of the dead and to have people in purgatory have each other uh, move those people closer to the goal of being called to be purified. Does that answer the question?
So we'll, of course, we can think a long time about purgatory. We'll kind of come back to it in a minute. Okay, so the subject tonight is, how's the baseball game? Oh, I was distracted by the topic well, of imagine conversation. That. <laughs> no, because I went to Revelation, and what we were talking about, the shame, the guilt, and all those things, Revelation refers to that as abominable things, and it also includes lying, too. Right, yes. 20, 27, 21, Revelation 27, 21. Uh, sorry, I got distracted by your topic. It's zero, zero, but uh, end of the first. <laughs> I don't That's a good one. There's so many quotes we can take. <laughs> Nothing unclean. It was, yeah, that's where I was reading. That is Revelations. Yeah, who does abominable, abominable things or tells lies. That's what I was reading. Right. It, that's another thing that points to purgatory. Nothing unclean will enter heaven. Or anyone who does abominable thing nothing unclean. I love I love the um, the analogy or in other places in scripture of the refiner's fire to yeah. purify, and in a lot of ways that's referring to what we're going through in this process because nothing defiled can come before God, and if we're defiled, if we've got sin, it's, it's got to be cleared before we can be in the presence of God. It's a really important image. So purgatory is a purifying fire, is a way of thinking. A purifying fire. And you think about gold. I know the word gold, but I think the idea is heat it up, and the the, the non-gold um, useless stuff, lead comes comes out, and all it makes is gold. And you heat it up in a purifying fire. This is kind of random. Also, since purgatory is outside of and if you go through purgatory, you'll end up in heaven. Could you simultaneously pray to someone, pray for someone's short time in purgatory, and ask for their intercession? Yes. Ask for their what? Intercession. Because you, know, you can ask for saints for intercession. So, could you? Can you pray for them? You can pray for them. Can they pray for you? Yes. 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 Which is, again gets us back to the communion of saints. It's a, it's a two way street, three way street, actually. Okay, so, um, you know, as we go through RCIA, right, we're, we're walking through the Apostle Creed, right? And so we worked our way through and we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in God the Father, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Come. The Holy Catholic Church, common communion of saints. Almost like it's in one breath. If you if you look at the Nicene Creed, we say I believe in one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, right? Well, another way of saying one, I believe in one church, is to say we believe in the communion of saints. So the first question is who are saints? So Someone can just ask you, call out some saints' names. I guess you have you have to pick the saint, pick your saint, right? So have you any have you thought about doing that? Who knows their saint? Saint Altuve. Saint Michael is always saint. Saint Michael. Saint Michael. 
touch our hearts. They call us to touch our hearts, okay. Their merits, their marketing. Their merits. Their marketing or closer as close as you can to Christ, an example of Christ. Yeah, okay, the example, they're, they're Christ-like. This, the likeness of Christ. Maybe we share a common background. Sharing a common background. My birthday just happens to be the feast of St. Thomas Aquinas. Okay. And I'm a student. It's a good choice. And a student. And so you speak the same student. Mm -hmm. So we have some connection to, with these things. Uh, and that's what he's saying. So they are signposts. These, these um, saints are signposts for us. They're examples. They're, they're ordinary people, really. If you go back and read their lives. Uh, by the way, I don't think any of them were perfect, right? Other than the Virgin Mary. But none of the others were perfect. They all struggled in their own unique way, right? just like we do. Uh, but the Pope goes on to say, there's also, so there's, there's you might say there's the canonized saints that you've heard of that open a book on the saints. Their name's going to be in there. There's a lot of saints that are not going to be in that book, but they're still saints. The good people I see in my life who will never be canonized. Ordinary people without visible heroism. But in their everyday goodness, I see the truth of faith. And he goes on to say their actions are probably the best, best uh, apology, the best argument for Christianity. It's just a day-to-day goodness of people like you. Uh, just another point of this is um, Pope Francis makes a similar point, but I wanted to point this out. It's a celebration of holiness. Right? So we're going to celebrate the solemnity of all the saints on November 1st, right? That is a celebration of holiness. Not just the big name saints, but holiness, the holiness that each of us, first of all, experience it from the people in our lives, but also that we can display on our own for our own way. The holiness is not seen so much in great deeds and extraordinary events, but rather in the day of fidelity to the demand of our baptism. love God and love our brothers and sisters. Key point. A love that remains faithful to the point of self-renunciation. So that's a key point of what makes a saint a saint. And then he goes on to say, we think of the lives of all those mothers and fathers who sacrificed for their families. Well, that's, just, that's a great example of self-renunciation is the sacrifices we make for our children or, or others, but in case of mothers and fathers, it's children. Self-renunciation, or another way of saying it is self-giving love. The kind of, that, that kind of self-giving love there on the crucifix. Right? It's a perfect symbol, symbol of self-giving love. Love is so powerful that God can take that love and, and raise Christ from the dead. Okay, so, so that kind of tells us who the saints are. 
one nothing asterisk. <laughs> Thank you. So a picture is worth a thousand words. That gives you a sense of the communion of saints. So here it's all of us, right? There's a bishop here, and we have God and the Holy Spirit and Christ and Mary and saints up here, a parade up here, right? So that's the communion of saints. That's kind of a good way to picture it, right? The ranks of the saints, both here on earth and in heaven. Here's another one. Multitude, myriads of saints. And then finally this one. And you get the full impact of this one across. That is, you're looking up at the dome over the altar where we celebrate the Eucharist. Which raises so that, that raises the to the second kind of communion of the saints, the Eucharist. Right? So I love to imagine, when I'm sitting in Mass, right? I love to imagine when the priest is you know, going through the Eucharist prayer that you know, it's not just us sitting here participating it's, it's we're surrounded by the saints looking on and celebrating the Eucharist with us that's what's happening, that's really what's happening in the Eucharist on All Saints Day are we allowed to pray and honor people who are still alive? Yes. Okay. They don't have to be dead. So yeah, I want to make a point. I mean, my, um, you know, my grandma was a saint. Right? You probably never heard of Saint Nana. <laughs> but uh, you may have one too. She was a saint. I mean, she had her, her problems and so forth, but she did some wonderful things. Just, uh, just by being a, a loving person, for one thing, but I could go a long time. She wanted to make sure we were, she was a Baptist woman, but she wanted to make sure we were all saved. Right? And we knew who Jesus Christ was. And everybody avoided her. And I was like, man, I don't want to hear it. You know? But she just didn't stop. So we all have saints, I, I assume. Let me just check hands. Do we know some saints in our lives? Do we have some saints in our lives? Bet you do, if not, bet you do, just give it some thought. Some saints, very saints that touched our lives. So think of the Eucharist this morning. All communion of saints is, is celebrating with us. Oh yeah, that's the picture. This is back to the catechism. When we say communion of saints, really are thinking like three divisions. And notice it says three states. Oh, it says three states of the church, not three locations of the church, right? Because we tend to think of we're spatial beings, right? We tend to think of, you know, earth here and heaven in some other place, right? And, and, and uh, purgatory in some other place. But these aren't places, right? These are states of being. It's where our being resides. So the, the communion of saints is in one of three places, so to speak, one of three states. 
There's the church triumphant, which is the people who have gone through the purification process and are, have entered into the full glory of God's presence. You have the church penitent, which is the people in purgatory. People are, the dead are being purified. And we have what we call the church militant is us, are the ones who are making our way through a sinful world, pilgrims. Right? We're pilgrims on earth. But this is the communion of the, the thing of Jesus. Why is this a communion? Why are we saying is it because we are all called to be home? That, that's the fundamental thing about what, what we're here. That's why we're here. That's why we get married. Right? That's why we have the sacraments. We are called to be home. And um, we do that through, as part of the community of saints, and through sacraments. Again, think about notice how I said communion of saints has a lot of different meanings. But again, we have these three states of the church that are connected. They are not, they're separated in a sense, but there is a, a link of charity, a link of love, a gospel between them. There's an abundant exchange of all good things. The holiness of one prophets and others. So, um, sometimes you might wonder why? Why should I? At least I do. Well, why should I pray to a saint? Right? Why? I'll just talk directly to God. And uh, well, you know that works fine if I've got all day to talk to God. And that assumes that that God is going to listen to me. Uh, as close as he would a more saintly person, right? But if we pray with the saints and we pray to them to intercede for us, then it just kind of stands the reason that God is going to hear our prayer. Instead of just little old me, right? As Catholics, as Christians, we're not, we're not here by ourselves, right? We're not doing any of this alone. So my little prayer, you know, is not, uh, it's just not going to get a lot of attention, but if I pray in community with fellow, fellow pilgrims right here, or praying in community with my dead loved ones, or praying in community with the saints, my prayer is going to have more merit. Can you pray to a saint before their death? Like, I mean, if they're going to get messed up, but you can pray to become a saint? Can you pray before their death? What? Can you pray to a saint before their death? Like, because if you think they're going to become a saint? Oh. Well, we're all saints. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, ask, we ask other people to pray for us. Yes. We assume that they're in the community of saints. So they're alive. We're praying for them. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, to answer your question, so a saint is a saint. Now they, they may be canonized, but just as a matter of recognizing them and calling them 
They're just the same. Yeah. Uh, before the Canada Act, they were happy. I remember that um, before we were called Christians, we were called saints. Remember, I remember that in the summer. But they used the name saints to refer to people. Yeah,
basically says what I just did, that we have to understand the communion of the saints. It's also the communion of the sacraments. Because they unite us to God. And here's a wonderful, this, this almost says it explicitly. It actually does say it explicitly. This is Paul writing to, to the Corinthians, right? One of the earliest written documents of, of, in the New Testament, right? Written in the 50s AD. And he, Paul's saying, isn't the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not our participation in the blood of Christ? And if you're going to remember anything from tonight, just remember this. The participation, you can also substitute the word communion. The actual Greek word was koinonia. Koinonia, koinonia. Which has a lot of that. I gave several of them, but you get the shade of meaning here. Fellowship, association, joint participation, communion, social intercourse, intimacy. So he's talking about the Eucharist here. Is it not participation, communion in the blood of Christ? In the bread, is it not communion in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, and we who are many are one body, and we all partake of one bread. Okay, so saints, I'm just summarizing here. Saints get a lot of people, not just the big names in the, in the glossy books. It's you and me. It's the people who touch our lives. It's the people who are who have given self-giving love, love selflessly. And then secondly, we said the communion of saints is the church. And finally, we said the communion of saints is the Eucharist. So I just want to touch on finally a question. Again, this is you are, you are going, are you going actually through the uh, catechism? Yep. Okay. So you'll find this. Um, it's from the catechism. And this is what I was saying. These are kind of how we relate to the saints. Like, great, so we've got saints, we're saints, we have saints in heaven, we have saints in purgatory, we have saints here on earth, right? Well, the saints in heaven intercede for us. So that's why I was saying, why don't we pray to them? They intercede for us. And they have, I don't know how you describe it, they have, um, let's just say, more merit before God, right? Because they're martyrs. They, they did amazing things. You know, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. John Paul II, or Mother Teresa. Right? They did great, wonderful, loving things. And as saints, they, they basically use those merits on our behalf. So that's a, that's a real good reason to ask for intercession of the saints. Second, saints are our companions, right? They're not, they're, you know, we can't feel 
right? But we're talking about the spirit. We're talking about love of Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So they are, they are our companions, just as close to us as, as I am in a spiritual way, right? So they, they are our companions and our guides. We're fellow disciples together. The saints have been through this, have been through the challenges of and they are just, just for the asking, there to help us and guide us. As I mentioned, we also pray for the dead and pray for, um, you know, quick purification and purgatory, or as it says, that they may be loosed from their sin, from the stain of sin. But they also intercede for us. Is it possible for? A saint that would normally not be in purgatory for a long time voluntarily be in purgatory for a longer time for like other people's sins? That's a good question. The question is, is it possible for a saint to say, I'll stay in purgatory for the sake of others, I guess. Who need a scent? 
plenty. There's not your house to be sold. There's no somebody. Okay, so that's the end. Actually, it's almost an hour, but that's the end of my presentation. Uh, I'll pause and make a question. Yes. We should, 
you know, what you look, what it looks like you're doing isn't that great. You know, what's going on with you? Being a friend, absolutely. Um, so we should we should help people understand what is what is serious matter, what's great matter. Um, but um, you know, again, we have to have some understanding. Yes, just to clarify though, you can be forgiven for a mortal sin, correct? Absolutely. Right. So what you're saying is, if you if you die without repenting for the mortal sin, that you go to hell. And can you yes. have repentance by desire for more of that? God knows your heart. Yeah. He knows your heart. Yeah. So. But that's a, yeah, I, I want to clarify. Yeah, if you die and it's with a moral sin that has you, you're not confessed and repentance. And been absolved of the confession. Then. A great definition of mortal sin, too, is that you're, you're out of communion with God. Like, you're not a friend of God. Like, your friendship with God has been severed. You've turned away. You said no to God. God hasn't said no to you, um, and so you know, you've turned away. So it's it's you know that's and yes, we always have the opportunity to turn back. He gives us so many opportunities, and we're going to talk a lot about moral sin, venial sin when we talk about the moral life. Actually, I think we have three classes on that, so we will uh, talk a lot about that. But yes, that's why we have confession. If we do. Engage in moral sin or think we might. As we help our candidates and candidates, at this time, uh, some of them we are ready to get picked and need to pick a, uh, a saint. Um, and of course, you know, my inclination is to tell them draw to somebody that you feel identified with that calls you, that motivates you. Or 
you're saying you identify with their story in some way. It could be something as simple as they have the same name as you do, the same birthday. Right? The Holy, the, if you're praying about that, the Holy Spirit's going to lead you to an answer. Right? Because the Holy Spirit you, works with those things to, to answer our prayers. No, not till the end. But it is good to talk about it because after the last two weeks, people like are like they're agonizing over it. <laughs> and I'm like, you have to make a decision because we have to make your name tag. So you've got to. Do it. <laughs> they get Saint Michael. <laughs> that's the default. That's Father Wayne's. That's Father Wayne's go-to. <laughs> you can just look at your own name. Your own name has yeah. a story. Probably lead to a saint, maybe, maybe a uh, canonized saint, but Check you know, your maybe you're named after somebody who, who your parents or grandparents thought was a saint. A living remember, saint. remember, we did the meaning behind the name when I did that, the meaning behind the name, so you can look up. And
Pope John Paul II, that was waived by Pope Benedict, but you have to be dead five years before your case can be Yeah, there's a lot. Unfortunately, thank God you voted. Martyrs. Martyrs is another. Automatic sanction. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Dying, dying for the faith, dying for your faith. So, lots of our saints, the big name saints, are martyrs. There's also martyrs who aren't canonized as saints, too. So it's going to be martyrs. We often say martyrs and saints, but martyrs are saints. All right. You ready to go home and finish the Astros game? Yeah. All right. Um, Deacon Lou, do you want to pray us out tonight? That would be 